Broadcasting live from an Ezra Exposition hologram, this is Pop Culture Reference, your one-stop reference for all things pop culture. I'm one of your hosts, Garrett Strother. And I'm one of your other hosts, Seamus Connolly. And before we get into the first two episodes of the brand new Disney Plus Ahsoka series, we do have some news that we've got to rush right into including, of course, up top, the ongoing WGA and SAG-AFTRA strike update. We mentioned the last couple weeks on the show that there had been counteroffers made and rejected with the WGA and the AMPTP and that they were returning to the negotiating table. However, it seems that when WGA leadership was invited by studio CEOs Bob Iger, Donna Langley, Carol Lombardi, Ted Sarodnos, and David Zaslav, instead of a negotiation meeting, as was assumed, they were instead preached the virtue of the AMPTP's previous and only offer and pressured to take the deal with the studios. No further negotiations were held. Wow. Well, I think we kind of called this a little bit. I didn't realize it would be such an actual slap in the face as something like this, but we were we were already pretty cautious about them getting called back to the table after, you know, all of those CEOs that we just mentioned have been very public about how fine they are with the strike that's been ongoing, but this is truly psychological warfare. I'm I'm sure a, a lot of these union reps were told like, "Hey, this is like maybe a good sign." Maybe Maybe this is actually a step in the right direction and we got a little pressure relieved on the people who are actually out there on the picket line. But now it's just like doubled, tripled down. God knows how long this is really going to last. You know, I've, I've already been thinking that this could just be forever, more or less. We could just be in the AI future without human human writers or something. But now it feels like we're really in the trenches here and, and I couldn't even guess when an end would be in sight. And it's especially hypocritical given how so many of these CEOs and other executives at studios have been quoted as saying things like, you know, this striking is so unprofessional and we're all just ready to get back to work and da 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 But what is less professional than calling a meeting and ambushing the people that you're supposed to be having a discussion? I couldn't, I couldn't imagine how they felt getting called back in there and that was what they were laid out again. Like, it wasn't already insulting the first time when they flat out rejected the offer, but now they're just being spoon-fed the exact same same thing word for word and basically scolded it's like so unbelievably insulting it really really is and i think in an effort to correct some recent pr missteps both with the ongoing strikes but also uh specifically related to physical media disney has walked some stuff back and has announced the official release of a few Disney Plus shows coming to Blu-ray and 4K disc, including the first two seasons of The Mandalorian, WandaVision, Loki, and Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Things which we said, you know, that we would probably pick up. I think by name, at least, you mentioned Loki, and I certainly mentioned mm-hmm. The Mandalorian. I would, and I stand by that, actually. Now that it's actually coming out, I think that is something that I would have on my shelf. Especially, you know, those, maybe that first season of The Mandalorian was such a treat. And it, it even at this point, kind of holds a little bit of nostalgia for, like, you know, when that was the best it was. Certainly. And I, you know... 
you can get that WandaVision 4K to go with that empty steel book that they were <laughs> they were releasing a couple weeks ago on the news segment. Interestingly, these are steel books, so I really oh. feel like this is a massive. Like, <laughs> oh no, you didn't. You guys didn't think that we were only going to do that, do you? Oh, what an absolute backpedal! I actually, I feel like I remember calling that they wouldn't necessarily backpedal on this kind of decision, but it's it's funny to see them actually doing it. And great, I'll pick a, especially I'll pick up a man. Season one steelbook 4K. That's a lot of fun. Honestly, I'll probably pick up the second season just for that Timothy Oliphant episode. Ooh, so, yes. But yeah, call me when you've got an Andor steelbook because I will not be oh. buying any of those Marvel things. That will be an actual pre order. That'll be a pre order. I don't often pre order 4K things or whatever, but that would be. That would be absolutely incredible. And then last up on our news stop here is longtime Mario voice actor Charles Martinet is stepping down from his role as Mario, but will still be a, quote, Mario ambassador for Nintendo. Now, I did know that he was kind of like a I want to be Mario until the day I die kind of guy. Like, he was very, like, I don't want to ever be replaced or stepped down. So I think this is more of a Nintendo is kind of making him step down a little bit. I mean, I'm glad he still gets to be a part of the the Mario community, or the, uh, the Nintendo community as a whole, and especially as historic of a voice actor as he is. But I... I feel a little bad for him, you know, I just, I, I wish he kind of just got to ke- have kept going until he was ready. I mean, I don't want to take Nintendo's side here or anything. I do wonder, you know, who knows what really happened behind the scenes. He is getting older. Mm, that is true. You never, you never know what's going on. I do think it's a little interesting that they didn't announce this before the Mario movie, probably knowing that there was going to be backlash, but also they were kind of caught because if they had announced this anytime after Pratt's announcement and before the movie came out, that would have been the worst timing. Oh yeah, that would have been a true meltdown at, at Nintendo. I will say the Super Mario Wonder trailer, which I believe we covered a few months back on a news segment apparently the voices in that are not charles martinet and they sound pretty good oh well i guess i wouldn't have even noticed but with that news wrapped up garrett what do you say we finally get back to what (laughs) what this show was made for and we get into some star wars talk oh make my dish For today's main segment, we're going to be talking about the two-episode series premiere of the Disney Plus original Star Wars series, Ahsoka. Seamus, you and I have been talking about this one for a long time. We have been watching it closely since it was announced because of a couple of different things. One, I think we do both like the character Ahsoka. Uh, Two, we're both Star Wars dips. And and three, (laughs) we do have a specific affinity for the series Rebels, to which this is not just a sort of, I would say, a pretty direct sequel series. And after a couple years of hype, I am eager to get your thoughts. You know, I... It's... I'm not fully against it at this point. Two-episode premiere, I guess I can... I'm... I say this every time a Mandalorian season comes out, I think, and I'm just like, I just gotta see how it goes, Garrett. Oh, I don't know. Uh, 
I'm not loving it so far. I'll be honest. It's not as Mandalorian-y as I thought it was going to be, which I'm happy about. And mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm still here for a lot of the Rebels stuff. Not all of the Rebels stuff, mind you. I, mm-hmm. I am, I'm waiting, I guess, to see a little more of that and not entirely impressed yet. But I have enjoyed these first two episodes, at least. There's a couple really good sequences of action in there. They haven't, they haven't lost the touch on that yet. There's a little more fun in the action than I would say there have been in maybe like the last season of The Mandalorian or The Book of Boba Fett. So I'm I'm at least happy about that. And there it also seems like they have a little more of a pointed direction than what the last season of The Mandalorian had. So at least I know that it won't be as aimless feeling hopefully as we go on through the weeks. But uh what what are your what are your thoughts on this? I think you and I are in a similar boat. I think that I'm not sold, certainly. I do. I did think that last night. I was. I kept going, well, I guess this could work. I'll have to see what they do in context. <laughs> and then I was like, this is the f- trap we fall into every Mandalorian That's season. That's the first oh. Mandalorian season. And it only ever goes downhill. But here's my big thing, because Seamus, you'll be able to say this. We should get a t-shirt with this on it. What is my number one complaint about live-action Disney Plus series? I don't know, Garrett. What is your number one complaint about live-action Disney Plus series? That nothing happens in them. That you spend a whole episode spinning your wheels, and then there's a big shocking moment at the end, and then you just cut to black, and you're like, okay, next episode. Where's the next episode? Like Woody at the end of (laughs) But this show... Hot take structured like a TV show. I agree, actually. Yeah, I think there's there's a little again a little bit more momentum moving forward here. They're they're kind of juggling a lot. There's a lot of pressure. I feel like on a premiere like this and on a first season like this, as we know, there's going to be many seasons. As they've already announced, this isn't some kind of more limited thing that's going to tie right back into the grander scheme of the Mandalorian. This is going to be like its own kind of thing here. And, you know, like you're saying, context is going to matter moving forward with pretty much everything they've set up at this point. But I'm going to still watch it every week, Garrett. I'm going to make sure. Tuesday nights, man. Tuesday nights. We're going to see, you know, if they are folding in a little bit more of what we actually care about. It's no Andor, and nothing ever is. Nothing ever... But that's... The trick is with Andor... Andor is a double-edged sword, as we discussed at length on our Andor episode, which is the reason that Andor is special is that it is so heinously different from all other Star Wars in both its maturity level and its pacing and its content... And I I don't want everything to be Andor. I certainly don't want the Ahsoka show to be Andor. I want the Ahsoka show to be animated. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, uh, yeah, maybe. But if you'll, I don't. We will go down that rabbit hole. Believe me. But I think the thing for me so far, something I also kept thinking last night was this feels a lot more like Star Wars than most of the live action shows do, including like the good stuff in The Mandalorian. Mm. And it would be really cooking, I think, if it weren't so ugly. This is an ugly show. <laughs> you think I mean I I guess I wasn't overwhelmed by how it looked. I, I it's didn't not think it was the horrible. Book of Boba Fett, but oh, still, sure. like think about how good the first season of The Mandalorian looks. Yeah. And like the volume can look good. Super CGI environments can look good. 
But that fight on Corellia in the second episode, not to get into spoilers too much, but like, it's just, it's just gray. Everything is, you have two of the main characters on this show are bright orange and bright green and everything, including their skin, is <laughs> Looks just gray. dull. Yeah, it, you're not wrong there. I was expecting a little bit more vibrant. I mean, we're, we're going back to places that we have seen in animated series that are the most vibrant of anything ever and then it kind of mm-hmm. the life is sucked out of it a little bit in live action which is weird to say that that's what's actually gonna you know dull it down a bit but you're not wrong maybe this show should have been another animated series but it they 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 have chosen the direction they're going with with Ahsoka and Rosario Dawson and, and everyone else here so I'm, I'm gonna try to embrace it every Tuesday night until mm-hmm. I am at rock bottom and that takes usually about three quarters of the way through Amando season so we'll <laughs> see what happens with this one. Oh boy when Boba Fett shows up that's when we know we'll, we're cooked you know. Oh you know it's a possibility you know that she's all up in that season with him in Mando. Yeah, it is unfortunate. Anyway, (laughs) I I do want to talk a little bit about Ahsoka's characterization in this because I feel like she very intentionally did not really feel like Ahsoka in that episode of The Mandalorian that Mm. she was in. And she was this kind of mysterious Ronin. And that's, I think, largely because we are in the perspective of Mando in that episode. And I'm like, okay, I'm get, I'm getting it, you know, we don't know who this mysterious not Jedi Jedi is. And then when she shows up in Book of Boba Fett, I actually, you know, I am famously not a fan of the Book of Boba Fett. I don't know if you knew that. <laughs> oh, yes, I think we discussed. But I do actually think that her characterization feels really just kind of wry and a lot closer to the Ahsoka that I know from the animated world. And that that's the best Rosario Dawson performance of the role so far, I think, is in that, what is it, is she only in the one episode of Boba Fett? I don't even remember. But here, she feels a little too stoic to me. And I know she's been through a lot, and I know that there is a significant time jump between the last time we see her in Star Wars, well, technically not the last time we see her in Star Wars Rebels, because the last time we see her in Star Wars Rebels is in this show also, but the last time we really see her in Star Wars Rebels as a character, and then jumping all the way, you know, four or five years forward to this series, and... I don't know. I'm just not. I, it's not that I think Rosaria's doing a bad job, but I don't really think that she feels as much like Ahsoka as I was hoping she would once we got to the Ahsoka show. Uh, yeah, I definitely. I absolutely echo those sentiments I feel like she's very she's a very cold and closed off and like you're saying there's all this time jump stuff mysterious like you know sad messed up backstory between her and her journey that has taken her to this cold distant place now but I was happy to see that stoicness drop just a just a smidge at the very tail end of the second episode of the premiere here I think maybe with her relationship with Sabine and you know when we get more of the details about what actually transpired between them in that time jump I feel like we'll probably get back to a little bit more of that Ahsoka feeling Ahsoka especially when they start folding in more of her own Clone Wars era flashbacks that I'm sure we will get plenty of as we go on yeah there's no way we do not get Clone Wars flashbacks and I've seen all the promos with a specific actor who's really been making the rounds lately yeah isn't that interesting (laughs) Um, I've also got to say that even though I think 
think that Natasha Lou Bernizzo is doing a good job. I'm not super feeling her as Sabine yet. And again, I think we're, you know, it took the two episodes to kind of force them into their starting positions. Yeah, yeah. For the series. So I'm going to hold my judgment on that. I think she's doing a fine performance so far. It's just, again, I'm not super feeling her as Sabine, which is especially evident in contrast when Mary Elizabeth Winstead is knocking it out of the freaking park with Hera, I feel like. She's doing great. I would like to see more of her. I I think I need a little bit more time to get used to the design of her. I feel like maybe it's the eyes, maybe it's the eyes the... are overwhelming. They're a little I will yeah, agree. it's a little much, but when she is out there acting as as her, she is She's doing incredibly well. I would like to see more of her. Maybe see more of her with other Rebels characters that we didn't get in these first two episodes that we know are out there in the world somewhere. Yes, and I think that, yeah, like you said, when she's out there is when she really shines. Because for the bulk of these episodes, she's just kind of standing around. And she's, you know, her characterization is still strong there. And I remember I sent you an article a couple weeks ago that was an interview with her talking about all of the prep work that she's done and reading up um, on the character and talking to Filoni and watching all of the series of Rebels and talking to Vanessa Marshall about Hera and what makes her tick. And I feel like you can tell that all of that work paid off because especially when she's talking to Chopper and things like that, I'm like, yeah, okay, we're, this is actually Hera in live action and I hope that she continues to feel as good as she does in these first couple episodes. Yeah, I I very much am looking forward to more of Mary Elizabeth Winstead here as I, as I always am in, in things that she appears in but I I am I'm still I need to reckon with the with the eyes a little bit and yeah I feel like they should have just you know not everything needs to be one to one I don't think live yeah, action they could have they toned it down just a smidge it looks just give her dark green eyes yeah, I think exactly is really my what I'm saying <laughs> but like I said I'm I am with her performance more than willing to let it settle with me throughout throughout the rest of this season I also want to shout out that I think well, one, the, the late Ray Stevenson is doing a, a really interesting job so far. He's kind of channeling. I don't know if you picked up on this. I really feel like he's channeling Liam Neeson in this. Oh, interesting. I, I well, thinking about his performance with that lens, I could definitely see that. He's very, he is a, he is an interesting kind of stoic in this, but I am actually really, really liking his, the most shoulder bulky dark Jedi of all time. I, I'm kind of loving it. And we'll get into his character and his sidekick shin more in spoilers but overall after we just went through all of the weeds about all the star wars things to people who have presumably not watched this show but are continuing to listen to this episode before we get into spoilers i want to say that so far and we will do a full season recap at the end of this season where we will update you on if i still think this if you didn't watch the Clone Wars or Rebels, there is no reason to watch this. Uh, yeah. I, yeah, for sure. I, I was thinking a lot about the the stepping stones between a casual fan and an understanding of anything that's happening in Ahsoka. And I would even say that, you know, you have to maybe be fully caught up with the show, both animated shows, uh, The Mandalorian, and at the very least, those couple episodes of... 
the book of Boba Fett just to start easing into the new live action characterization mm-hmm. of Ahsoka. So it's it's a lot to take on all at once if you are, you know, a casual fan of Star Wars. Not to mention, I keep getting afraid and I just need to watch it, I guess, all the way through. I'm like, they're definitely going to pull some Tales of the Jedi references out. A thing oh, that I, yeah. And you know who I am and I didn't even watch Tales of the Jedi. Yeah, I am. I have been very backed up on Tales of the Jedi and Visions, which I know is a completely different thing. But there's just a, there's a lot of spinoff stuff, Garrett. Did you watch the new season of Bad Batch? No, dude. I'm so, I I'm so I behind. I'm so behind. I've got a, I've got a lot of shows I'm taking on right now as well. I'm not. I'm, you know, there's too much Star Wars. We say that all the time on this show. There's too much Star Wars right now, and a Seamus, you know, isn't even watching Young Jedi Adventures, so I feel embarrassed for him. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> oh, dude, I'm a uh, fake fan of the High Republic. Don't tell, don't tell guest favorite Rocky Kari, please. Uh, Rocky Kari definitely watching the show made for five year olds <laughs> that I also watch. Because like uh, these, you know, Rebels is kind of made for five year olds, but Jedi Adventures is like explicit. Like that is Disney Junior stuff, right there. Yeah, when you get the the those Lego sets, they're like the really youngster Lego sets. Yeah, exactly. But I think it is time to move on again to the nitty gritty here because there's plenty of nitty in this gritty or the other way around. <laughs> or vice versa. Uh, yes, let's official spoilers for the first two episodes of Ahsoka. Chopper's looking great. Chopper's Loving Chopper. Fantastic. He, like, yeah. I love the Chopper, love the Loth cats. We're spending a lot of time in our favorite Lothal places in these first couple episodes. I'm really digging it. A lot of Ezra helmets in the background. I'm, I'm in- loving that. Including his orange helmet. Yeah. Yeah, his, scout trooper his orange scout trooper helmet. That. What was that? Season two? I think so. I mean, he wears it all the time. He yeah, but I mean, like that's when he got it for the first time. It, I I feel like that was post Imperial Flight Academy arc. That, well, maybe? speaking of Imperial Flight Academy arc, <laughs> this is the most Shido I have ever glupped on this show, Seamus. And it is the fact that not only is Governor Ryder yeah. up in here as Clancy Brown himself, I love. That. But Johnny Kell is a senator now from Lothal. Yeah, man, throw him in. Just we're we're doing it. That is wild. Like that is a. I mean, I know Filoni obviously is the guy who's doing this show. <laughs> But what a deep cut. Like, I thought Ryder was going to be, like, the... That is the deepest cut we're going to get from Rebels. I would... Like, is Zemo going to show up next? Who knows? (laughs) Literally anything is on the table right now, and I'm kind of... I'm in for that. I'm in for the super insane Rebels stuff going down on Lothal. I I did. I was... I, like, had to double take when Clancy Brown was on screen. I was like, how many many guys is Clancy Brown going to be on this... In this franchise? And then I realized like oh got you this is kind of the best and I never realized how much he kind of just looked like Ryder to begin totally. with they definitely did that on purpose and that's the thing I'm not even like the biggest Ryder fan a lot of the times when Ryder would show up in an episode be like oh this is a Ryder episode dude I'm all about Ryder man fourth season Ryder stuff was my well, jam fourth season Ryder is by far the most interesting Ryder which also when they bring back Jai in the yes. like, because early seasons Jai when he's just like the Imperial Academy stuff who cares about that you know I mean, it's fun. But then he becomes, like, one of the boys. He becomes one of the... (laughs) Yeah, man. He's, like, he's, like, all in for the the rebel cause. It's the best. By the way, full spoilers for Rebels, because if you're you're watching Ahsoka, you're getting full spoilers for Rebels anyway, so... And Clone Wars and all the other stuff we mentioned before.
more pre-spoilers. Tales of the Jedi, probably. Probably, you know? as we go, we're going to get spoiled for Tales of the Jedi once we get there. Including Clone Wars talk. So we're just not going to talk about how Ahsoka got Hu Yang? Like, or who Yang, how Hu yeah, Yang is still, I, like, alive? I thought I missed something. I was like, oh, no, I've got to rewatch, like, the, the revival season of Clone Wars maybe again to, like, figure out what the hell's going on. But, I mean, people just love him. People just love David Tennant doing his Doctor Who bot thing. I mean, I, I think Hu Yang is a great character. And of all of the things to survive the purge, it kind of makes sense that he would be because he's not a, a life form and he's been alive for what, like 20,000 years. Yeah, or he's an old boy. But yeah, I mean, I, I'm glad to see him here. I think he's a good addition to the show. I like the themes that they're playing with already with lightsabers and his fixation on lightsabers and how he's able to recognize skulls so mm. quickly because of, you know, scanning his lightsaber. Also, as somebody who just finished God of War Ragnarok a couple months ago, I am picking up on the Norse mythos of Skull and Hati, which are wolves that chase each other around. And so Dave Filoni, he cannot help himself with the wolf imagery. Oh, man, I... And you know what? He also can't help himself with the Knights of the Old Republic references that he just loves to sprinkle in there. Not not only do we have a, a planet that should have just been Korriban, and I will stand by that, but we are also getting, like, spherical star maps that are buried in, like, ancient Sith and, you know, evil temples and mentions of HK assassin droids out there, like, very casually. Yeah, he, he's been he's been trying his best to, to get a little bit bit more of that in in all the various uh live action stuff that's been coming out and i yeah i appreciate that and he's always been really good at tying all of the different eras of star wars together really well and i think rebels is especially good at that because it literally serves as a bridge between Mm. the prequels and the original trilogy but also i like that he's really luxuriating in a way that most star wars content and i do say content pointedly (laughs) does not anymore in the little tactile elements of the universe and i've seen a lot of people poking fun online at the how easy the puzzles were <laughs> oh yeah i mean in, yeah in these couple episodes but at the same time i am very glad to have actual puzzle solving going on it's not just like ahsoka walks into a room and te- and presses the one prop that they actually built that's not part of the volume <laughs> and then the wall opens behind her like they do a whole sequence around that's something that Indiana Jones couldn't even do. You yeah, know? yeah, I, I agree. Usually, I, if anything, I was expecting stuff just like, oh, the force sensitiveness of whatever individual in whatever puzzle room is just going to kind of unlock whatever thing is there through the force or whatever. So I, I didn't hate the very analog, like spin the thing, do the puzzle box, look through the, you know, the slot that you rotated. You know, I, I did not mind. That being said, I really do wish that we weren't just doing another map because disney star wars loves one thing and that is a map MacGuffin. and i'm like we could maybe not have done it this way i don't know how we could have done it because this this is maybe the most earned the map has ever been i mean i am holding out a lot of hope that this will eventually be because this is it's a map to one of the great rebels mysteries that they left in the finale it's like what the hell happened to 
to Ezra and Thrawn? Like, where did they go? Are they hanging out somewhere in the in the space between spaces or something? Are they like friends now? Did one kill the other? We're finally and and we really we're getting right on it with these first two episodes. We're already kind of past the map a little bit. So I'm you know maybe maybe this was just our way to get on the road again with our new duo that this is really going to be about Sabine and Ahsoka instead of just Ahsoka. So I'm I'm here to forgive the star map a little bit. Speaking of Sabine and Ahsoka, I would love to know what your thoughts are. Well, one of the kind of vast recontextualization of the finale of Rebels that's going on here. I wouldn't go so far as to call it a retcon, although they do make some very explicit changes to scenes that they recreate uh, almost shot for shot. Like Ahsoka is no longer Ahsoka the White with her big staff and I was yeah. a little bit bummed about that. What's Where's the staff? Maybe the staff comes in later and she's like... I, I think that's what it's going to have to be because otherwise why wouldn't they have just given yeah, it to her? Yeah, definitely, definitely. But this whole idea that at some point closer to Ezra's disappearance, Ahsoka took Sabine on as her Padawan and then there's been, you know, it was, and you know, so was that before the Galactus? The timeline is very confusing to me now. Yeah, I, I took all of that as like on the, you know, after the finale on their search they kind of made that bond a little bit i guess and then just off screen it fell apart but i i again but i was like like the third anniversary or something of the liberation of lothal which means this can't be more than like a year or two after the end of the galactic civil war right am i crazy wait is it wait hold on wait did they say how many years it was am i just putting three in there is that i might have just i don't know i don't know wait regardless I, I'm, I, I'm sorry like you're probably right i'm just probably probably confused but i think the like the fact that we watched all of rebels and we're confused yeah yeah yeah. is that oh god help anybody who's just jumping in jeez so anyway but yeah i i don't know i i don't hate the idea of sabine jedi padawan i i actually very much like the idea of seeing ahsoka and i assume that's where a lot of those anakin flashbacks are gonna come into play of like her now being the master with a padawan to be responsible for with an even more complicated relationship in specifically the Jedi training area than she ever experienced with her master so I'm I'm looking forward to seeing a little bit of that because I have I think I've said this to you off mic before and I don't think I've ever had a reason to say it on the show because we've never been like full spoilers for Rebels and everything else that's related mm. to it is I have always kind of held that I I the my biggest nitpick with Rebels is I'm not crazy about the world between worlds and yeah and except extension of that is I frankly think Ahsoka should have died fighting Vader in the season two finale and the only thing that I can see going because the only thing that I can see going forward for her character after that point is if she can come full circle and have her own Padawan I know I've said that to you off mic before and so I'm very into the idea of her having her own Padawan I think in the previous conversations that we've had it was probably in the context more of it being either Grogu or Ezra but Sabine may 
makes just as much sense, if not more, in the context that the show is giving us. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing how they're going to do that, especially with the attitudes that these characters have about it. I'm hoping we get some, like, mid-post-Rebels flashbacks to maybe them in their first Master Apprenticeship. Um, Where she taught Sabine how to take a lightsaber <laughs> through the stomach like Qui-Gon Jinn and just walk it off. Dude, just walk it off. I swear to God, they teach that in, like, first grade. That's, like, that's like basic first aid now in the Star Wars universe. It's like, what? The, hey, yeah, here, you remember Order 66? Don Matter. There's about a thousand people with lightsabers who are just gonna come at you at some point. Just, you know, you know, whatever. Put some pressure on it. Get to a back to tag. You'll be fine. And I feel like, honestly, I don't even mind her surviving that blow as much as I do her recovering from it so quickly. Especially because, and I know that this is something you picked up on and I'm, I'm sure are waiting for me to bring up before you bring it up, which is Sabine cutting her hair is a direct echo of Kanan cutting his hair mm-hmm. right before he dies in Jedi Knight. And so this idea that maybe that wound marked some kind of death and rebirth for Sabine, that she cut her hair to wear the helmet again to go on this adventure, to be ready to be a Padawan, to find Ezra, to find Thrawn. And I just didn't feel the full stakes of that moment of change then because it was just like, okay, yeah, she sat in the hospital with Hu Yang for like a day. Yeah, we needed to see a little bit more wrestling with the the decision to go back out with Ahsoka. I feel like there there's just a little bit of push from Hera on either side of like you just gotta you just gotta be honest or whatever. But like I feel like we were missing a little bit of that internal resolution that we could have seen grow a little bit more if she did have more time to to reckon with those feelings about going back out there. Because that cool speeder chicken moment out in the mm-hmm. highway of Lothal of like her she's like she doesn't care she's listless and she doesn't care about like what she did in the past for the rebellion and her place on Lothal and in the history of the rebe- whatever you know any of that but then so rapidly getting that change and like all right now here we're we're going out into the universe now like here we go the big adventure begins I, I feel like we could have earned that a little more in these first two episodes I also this doesn't directly tie into that because this is more of another visual thing but you bring up like the big highway on Lothal and everything looks like Rebels but also nothing does. That they're using all of this Rebels iconography and I just don't feel like a lot of it is transferring to live action super well. I think Lothal looks really weird. Like, I don't know, I always felt like some of the perspective things on Lothal were embellished for the fact that it was animated Mm -hmm. and now it's forcing me to come to confront a lot more directly like why is this highway so long? And things like, (laughs) you know, that I've never really had to think about before and I think that I mean in something just like Hera's eyes right it's distracting from a good character and a good performance that are just like oh man those eyes look weird huh and I go back to the idea of like a casual fan just like trying out the like oh I you know I watched a little bit of the Clone Wars back in the day I'll give the Ahsoka show a shot and then you know not really being able to see past things like why is this highway so long and you know drop off in the middle of nowhere and why are her eyes so green all of these things that we are giving so much leeway to because of our affinity for Rebels and for the things that we've seen be like perfect 
affected in the past. It's 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 a it's a dangerous way to go about a show like this, especially with the longevity that they have planned for it already. They're kind of calling their shot a little early. I also do not think the lightsabers look good in this, which no? we haven't we haven't seen a lot of lightsabers in live action TV Star Wars yet, especially even like the Obi Wan show, which is probably the most lightsaber action we've had. Was it was a lot more like in the dark and you know like they were production designing around the lightsaber because Disney Star Wars loves to do this thing where the lightsabers are primary light sources for the lightsaber tools mm. which I think is cool I do think sometimes they give off a little bit too much light but it all like it's all about the tone of the scene like I think it works really well in Force Awakens uh, I think it works less well in something like Obi-Wan Kenobi but it still works you know they're still making a choice or like built around the lightsabers and this also compounds with that i think a lot of the combat is kind of uninspired like all of this perfect storm of the the let's talk about i think specifically let's talk about the battle on Corellia because i think that is the best example so far of you have the ugly volume gray background which is already like it's not helping our gray and black adversary yeah. fight our gray clad hero with her white lightsabers yeah it's it's that's it's, already a weird choice very much so and then you've got i th- i felt like the editing in that sequence was kind of lifeless and i think think that is partially i think that's also a volume thing because i think you get different you know when you're not in a physical environment you have to work within the limitations of the blocking right and then on top of both of those things i think that ahsoka's lightsabers don't look particularly dynamic because think about how you picture ahsoka's fighting style in animation and how quickly she's swinging her blades around and this is the ultimate point that I'm bringing, building to, which is when a lightsaber in the original trilogy and the pre- in any of the movies, if I'm being honest, in any of the movies, when you swing a lightsaber, there is a trail mm-hmm. behind it. It's not just a stick. It's got moving a single piece. Space. Yeah. And Ahsoka and all of the lightsabers in animation, they dial that up even more. So they are just blurs. And yeah. Ahsoka moves so fast, and she's so acrobatic, and all of that stuff that her fighting style really showcases that very well. And then you get here and. They're not doing that to the lightsabers. The lightsabers don't have a track. They're just glowing sticks. And I feel like not only is it less visually interesting, but it takes kind of some of the power of the lightsaber away. And now I'm just like, yeah, I guess it's a, it's a lightsaber. You know, it's just they're hitting, they're hitting it with each other. And then, like, and then, of course, you compound that with something like, yeah, I guess Sabine just got stabbed through through and through and she's fine. So I, I think back to, like, you know, the, the original, you know, 77, it's like the mystery and majesty of a lightsaber. It is the one and only tool of the Jedi Knight. You know, it's very rare, it's very deadly, and you have to be a master to to be able to wield it the way that it's supposed to. And now, yeah, everyone's just pretty much just getting slashed and, and walking out of it and getting into lightsaber fights that feel less heavy than what a lightsaber is maybe supposed to feel like when they're clashing with each other. It's I'm hoping they, they get a little bit more interesting with those lightsaber on lightsaber fights when maybe we get 
uh, skull in there for an mm-hmm. actual duel at some point in the next couple episodes. I also think that something Obi-Wan did really well at this show is not doing well is the sound design on the lightsabers like that crackling when they oh yeah when they clash and I feel like in order to get to the real raw nature of what the duels in Obi-Wan were supposed to be they really amped that, that up and it, here it's just like okay I, again I just don't feel the impact I don't feel the clash I don't feel you said the weight of the lightsaber and I totally agree like I am not feeling the weight of the lightsaber and that's too bad because I think honestly the right unlike most Star Wars shows the writing here is not really my problem so far yeah I I agree I think that again there are things like with Hera and with Sabine especially those two characters I feel like with me so far are written very well I mean the performances are also really really good so that helps a lot but yeah, I'm hoping we get a little bit more color in the in the coming episodes. I hope we get a little bit more like I didn't hate the the droid action scene after she gets the star map. You know, she's doing interesting things with her lightsabers and mm-hmm. You know, the the giant, nu- like, triple nuclear explosion that those five random droids had. Like, whatever, that kind of looked like any other big CGI thing in a Disney show. But the, yeah. the fight itself, I was, I was having a lot of fun with up until well, that part. It feels, it feels like Filoni's cartoon sensibility translated to live action in a way that yeah. we've not really seen very much so far. Especially because her cutting her way down into the temple is a direct reference to... Her evading Order sixty six, yeah, and, yes. and cutting her and Rex down under under the the raising and lowering platforms, and in the is that the series finale? I believe. Of, I think so. Yeah, Wars. and I I think that works really well, and I want to see more creativity with that. But I also just think that as much as the creativity is working well, it could still be visually showcased a little bit better. So definitely I, agreed. And you mentioned color. I think that it, there are pops of color in the show. There are sequences. It's like inconsistently graded because I think the sequence where right after we leave Corellia, which is probably the most egregious example of this is just gray nothing, when we're out in space and Hera's in the Phantom and she's dodging back and forth the laser beams. Mm. And I'm like, wow, Hera, Hera's skin looks like actually green and Chopper looks really orange oh, against yeah. the vacuum of space. So the grading and the color design coming in a little bit more, which makes it all the more frustrating when we go back to like, okay, now everything's gray again. Oh, uh, well, hopefully, you know, we get to some fun planets on the next couple episodes in the, in the next few weeks to make us change our mind on how, but I mean, like I, at this point, I definitely agree. It feels inconsistently graded. And I'm I'm hoping that's less distracting as we go. My last color nitpick, and then I promise I'll drop it, <laughs> is when they're standing around in Ahsoka's ship and Ahsoka's drinking her Starbucks and <laughs> they've got the holotable going. And the first thing I thought was, if this were an episode of The Clone Wars, all the lights would be off except for the holotable and it would just be the light of the holotable on the characters. And, I mean, even something like Rogue One does a lot of that. And I'm like, why aren't we doing that? Why isn't that how this scene is lit? And it, not that it needs to be, but it would like it would just help visually in <laughs> just a little bit, you know, on a similar note. It took me a long time to realize, even though I knew we were on Home 1, and I knew that we were looking at, a, at another holotable on Home 1 when 
Hera's giving her presentation. It took me until almost the end of that scene to click. I'm like, oh, this is the same holotable where they give the Death Star 2 right, thing yeah. on Mothma. And I think part of that is, again, because it's lit so differently. It's lit so much flatter, even though that's just kind of a white room mm-hmm. in Return of the Jedi. It pops so much more than it does in, in this. Yeah, I, I, it is a shame because it's it's super rad that they're doing stuff there. It's it's really cool when we can see you know the special you know special care taken to put things like that as the set pieces, but then it just does not look interesting enough for us to even recognize it anymore. It's 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 a it's a double edged sword a little bit, and I'm I'm hoping that again the change in the settings, the planets, maybe the ships they're on, we can get a little bit more specific in the lighting and the coloring so that we can, you know, be less bogged down in our opinion of this show by pure pure color. Definitely. Because I again there's a lot of things that are working for me tonally. I I, I mentioned up top how the episodes feel like episodes. I liked, oh, I want, I, I, I remember promising that we get back into this as spoilers. The fact that the opening of this, well, not the very opening, but the introduction of our two dark Jedi is very, very reminiscent of the opening of Phantom Menace. Yes, and I definitely clocked that. That's, I, I mean, obviously that's super intentional and that, Filoni is good at giving us these interesting, he understands, I think better than Lucas does, the way that Star Wars should rhyme like poetry and how you can point out differences in storytelling Mm -hmm. and not to say that there's any great like super deep statement being made here it's like it's like the first one but now it's the bad guys (laughs) like you know but I still think that those are much more interesting choices for Star Wars television than something like I'm not going to be mean and say the book of Boba Fett but even something like (laughs) Obi-Wan makes a lot of the time yeah, I, I definitely agree. I definitely... And we you know what? We can be mean to Book of Boba Fett still. It's okay. I'll let you do it. Okay, thank you. I'm glad, I'm glad I have your patience. <laughs> but yeah, um, I'm, exci- I'm excited to keep watching this. Yes, I, I am as well. I, I would like... Because I've been clocking a lot of those things, just, uh, just as you are, these visual references. We just need to pop a little bit more. I like how that, you know, Black Knight Inquisitor guy looks. I don't know what his deal is. I mean... He, again, we'll talk about this in the season finale when it probably comes true. The fact that his name is Maroc, the fact that we are in a story solely focused on Anakin Skywalker's apprentice, the fact that he is the last of the Inquisitorious, that's, got, he's going to take off the mask and it's going to be Sam Witwer, right? Oh, man. All right, you called your shot now? I think that would be yeah. rad. I, I'm into that. I think that, or even if it's not Sam Witwer, it's clearly, like, I think this is going to be the Star Killer equivalent in this. In, I would, in I would love canon. it. I would love that. I truly, truly would love that. Because, like, all, I think all of the pieces thematically are there. I mean, I think so. That's justify bringing him in. That was in my stupid, like, wishlist brain back when this show was, like, doing its thing. But that, I mean, that would be the ultimate weird spinoff fan service, but it's fan service for me, Garrett. I would love it, truly. <laughs> Star Wars fan service, colon, fan service for Seamus. <laughs> that's, that's my favorite brand of Star Wars fan service, Garrett. That's true. The, the little niche subgenre. I mean, this really is, it's Rebels. I think you, you and I like Rebels a lot more than the general population of Star Wars fan, I would say. so. And I would say if you're on our side on, on the Rebels train, then give, give Ahsoka a shot. Just like we are with our best foot forward and middling hopes at this point and we'll see what we 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 come up to at the finale episode 
I'll be honest, not as bad as I thought it was going to be. And yeah, so not as well. Me too. You know what? Me too. My expectations were fairly low, but I, I'm, I'm still on board. Well, Seamus, what do you say we talk a little bit more Ahsoka when we bump it on over to our pop culture reference? Let's do it. For today's pop culture reference, we're going to be talking about the origins of Ahsoka Tano. When developing the 2008 computer animated film Star Wars The Clone Wars and the subsequent TV series for which it served as an introduction, George Lucas and showrunner Dave Filoni developed the idea of Anakin Skywalker having a Padawan during The Clone Wars to help his character change between the live-action Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith films. Lucas was influenced by his relationship with his own daughters, especially liking the idea of creating a teenage Jedi Padawan character who would appeal to girls like them. Ashley Eckstein was ultimately cast in the role, not initially realizing what a significant character she had been picked to play. Arguably the central character of the Clone Wars series, Ahsoka became one of the most important characters in Star Wars animation, despite the series' cancellation and Lucasfilm's purchase by Disney. Her popularity, combined with Filoni's transparent protectiveness of the character, led to her reappearance on the first Disney-created Star Wars series, Star Wars Rebels. Eckstein returned to voice Ahsoka, now an adult spy secretly helping the fledgling rebellion under the codename Fulcrum. During Star Wars' cultural resurgence in the midst of the sequel trilogy, it was announced that the Clone Wars would receive a seventh and final season on Disney+. The marketing for this revival largely centered around Ahsoka, with the final episodes of the entire series focusing on her experience at the end of the Clone Wars, leading into the events of Revenge of the Sith. Despite Ahsoka's massive contemporary popularity among Star Wars fans, the character was not an instant sensation. Following the Clone Wars initial release, many fans leveled a vitriolic barrage against the character, the overall series, and most egregiously, Eckstein herself. Reminiscent of the hate campaigns against Jake Lloyd and Ahmed Best during the prequel era, the treatment of Eckstein and Ahsoka was compounded by misogynistic language and nearly led to Eckstein walking away from the role altogether. Ahsoka would make her live-action debut in the second season of The Mandalorian, portrayed by Rosario Dawson. And not long after, the announcement of her own standalone show on Disney Plus was made. Recently, Dave Filoni and Jon Favreau confirmed that both Ahsoka and Din Djarin's story would come to a head together in a feature-length film that will serve as the finale for both series and their titular characters. Did you see the Clone Wars movie when it came out back in the day, Garrett? I have never been able to finish the Clone oh. Wars movie straight up. <laughs> I think it is. And you know who I... Like, I finish movies, and I finish Star Wars movies especially. <laughs> but no, we're going to watch it together someday together. Because it's, you know, looking back on it, I haven't seen it in a couple years, but it is bad. It's a bad movie, man. <laughs> it's real rough. I thought it was bad so when I was edges. 10 years old. I didn't... I, I mean, I was in the... The height of my Star Wars hype back then, I did not ask my parents to go see it. I, you know, it was just not something that ever appealed to me. Rada the Hut, all that stuff. Yeah. Um, I, you know, a few years <laughs> yeah. later, when the Clone Wars show came to Netflix, that's when I actually hopped on the Clone Wars train. So that's when I got into Ahsoka and all that. I was always very interested. This would have been around the time the Rebels came out. And I was always very interested in Rebels, but I had to wait, unfortunately, till that got put on Disney Plus because I did not have cable when Rebels mm. was on. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I remember seeing this movie in 2008 in the theaters, like, on a whim. It wasn't like I was, like, hyped to see the animated Star Wars movie or whatever. But, you know, I don't remember hating it. I don't remember hating her, really. I was young enough where I was just like, you know, the, the few battle and duel scenes that are, like, really 
off the chain worked enough for me that that's pretty much all I remembered at the time. But it, it I did not get me even into the Clone Wars show. Uh, I I came back to the show years and years later when I was when I was far past that terrible movie. But I'm just I'm just glad that this perfect cocktail of terrible uh, fan behavior and you know bad reception turned into one of my favorite Star Wars characters of all time. And what's especially sickening is when hate campaigns pop up now against especially, you know, women involved in Star Wars like Daisy Ridley, Kelly Marie Tran, Laura Dern. Oftentimes these awful Star Wars fans point to Ahsoka and they're like, see, we're not misogynists. We love Ahsoka. We've loved her from day one. And that is just patently false. That is Yeah, that is not true. I, I, I don't remember loving the movie. Like, I liked it when it came out, but I surely remember people hating it and hating her specifically. And they were like, oh, this is the end of Star Wars. Like, Star Wars is trash now. Like, completely writing off the franchise as a whole. And what would later become one of the most celebrated chapters of Star Wars, which is the Clone Wars show. I think, to be fair, looking from... Because I remember right after, you know, those few years after Revenge of the Sith came out. And it was just like, okay, Star Wars has got to be, like, done now. Because what are they going to do? Because they, you know, they tried the show and people watched it. But I don't, you know, it was not the sensation that the seventh season, for example, mm-hmm. was. And I'm not crediting Disney necessarily because, you know, I think the over-franchisation of Star Wars and pop culture as a whole is a negative. But until Disney bought Star Wars, there was I don't think there was like any sense of Star Wars being a franchise that was going to maintain relevance past the end of the prequel trilogy, despite the fact fact that they are classics you know in the same way that well this is a bad example because you and i just watched the dial of destiny in the movie (laughs) but in the same way that like indiana jones was for 20 years done it was a dead franchise but people still talked about it in regular conversation you know and i think that was the the role that star wars was heading toward before disney got their mitts on it which again i'm not you know there's a lot of good stuff i love rebels i i i like half of the sequels you know yeah me too you know i I think overall we're we're in an interesting direction now, but the the culmination of all the Ahsoka stuff plus all the Disney stuff in what we have now in the Ahsoka series, we're you know as we mentioned to you know the entire main segment, we are cautiously optimistic about, and I I think that it can maybe you know m- maybe surprise us just like how the original view of Ahsoka surprised pretty much everybody after she she got a little more development. And a sentiment we did not express in the main segment, I think, is like regardless. of of how this show turns out. The fact that we still have gotten such a compelling story told throughout the two animated mm-hmm. series, fleshed out in, in supplementary novels and comics, is worth celebrating. And I'm not, you know, I'm not going to, similar to how, you know, I love Rebels, and I'm not going to let whatever happens in this show sour of, of my course. love of Rebels. Ahsoka, regardless of how this show is, is still one of the great Star Wars characters, and over came kind of insane odds to become you know a debut anakin skywalker padawan kids insert character became one of the most fleshed out well-rounded and most adored characters in the entire multimedia franchise i love to see it and i am i'm looking forward to seeing more of this character as we continue on the years of content that we have been promised with her me too but what do you say we wrap it up and go save the rec center garrett we wouldn't be very good jedi if we didn't Save the Rex Center! 
Now it's time to save the rec center, where we bring you our weekly rec amendations. Seamus, what do you got this week? Well, it's been a long time coming for this one, Garrett, but I'm on this lonely road trying to make it home. I've already messed up the song because I'm just thinking so much about Raylan Givens in Justified, baby. Maybe one of the best shows that I've never seen before for some reason. Everyone in my life who I trust with their opinion on TV like this has told me that this is absolute solid gold dynamite lightning in a bottle, and I never, ever pulled the trigger on it. But I finally have. I blasted through the first season in like a week and a half. I'm already like a quarter of the way into the second season right now. You and to switch to Hulu and watch it with ads. Yes, yes, Ooh. of course. But it is so worth it because it is it's truly peak television it is it is uh, timothy ollie fans himself as one of the most charming likable characters of all time he's uh, also a mass murderer don't forget he's a mass murderer well he kills lots i of guess people. he's <laughs> it, i guess it was justified, justified. <laughs> it was justified <laughs> that's the whole point of the show Oh, God. Maybe also one of my new favorite characters in any media ever is Boyd Crowder, played by, of course, the impeccable Walton Goggins. He is absolutely killing it. His his character is all over the map in this first season and a half, and I am thrilled to continue down the road with all all the people here. I'm, I'm having a blast, and I know this is one of your personal favorites. I'm literally looking at your Blu-ray of the first season on my stack right now. I love this show. It is the perfect neo-western crime procedural crime of the week. There's a, a million amazing guest stars. It's just the perfect cocktail of really bingeable television, and I, I feel like I haven't gotten a really bingeable television show in a long time. It is It is maybe perfect. I it's so good. It's so good. It. It's, it's equal parts badass and really funny and just like generally well written and shot. It's, it's in an era of television that could could be very easily just insanely boring for every weekly episode but it's nothing but entertainment and i always think i know like all right we're gonna get a we're gonna get a you know crime of the week episode we're gonna get a ava episode we're gonna get a crowder episode but then every time i'm like i don't know where it's going and it leads me down a very lovely surprising path i'm so glad i've been personally rec centering this show to you far before we ever started this podcast. And I can nearly guarantee that you've rec-centered it on the podcast before at some point. I I can't imagine I hadn't. I probably rec-centered it when Oliphant showed up on The Mandalorian as a thinly-veiled version of Raylan Givens. Oh, I really didn't want to jump the gun earlier when you mentioned him in The Mandalorian. (laughs) I wanted to save it. He's so good. It's he's, so good. He's so Boy, handsome. So good. Oh. You are talking my language, Seamus. And, and, and now I'm in season two, and I, d- I don't want to spoil too much for the folks at home, but esteemed character actress Margot Martindale is the number one scene stealer of all time. Season two of Justified, you mean one of the only perfect pieces of work <laughs> ever created? Well, I like I said, I'm not too far into it, but I can already tell that that is an absolute fact. So I'm, I'll keep you personally updated as I go. Maybe we'll throw Please. a couple episodes on together now that i'm in the golden era 
See, if only you had listened to me a year ago, and we could have covered the whole oh, show no. for this new revival. For for and that's and that's kind of what I'm interested in. There's so much rural stuff, city primeval, whatever the hell that means. I'm very very excited to get to the to the modern stuff. Yes, I, I, you should be. They shot it two blocks away from both of our houses. <laughs> it's so. crazy. It's crazy. But before we do a whole extra episode length's worth on Justified, what do you got to save the rec center this week? Well, Seamus, stop me if I've rec centered this before. For because I'm I'm definitely in dangerous territory here. So keeping in theme with today's main segment, not tied to Ahsoka directly, but we both had a lot of praise for Mary Elizabeth Winstead's portrayal of Star Wars Rebels character Hera Syndulla. And if you want a little bit more Hera, I heartily recommend, I think, one of the best Star Wars books I've ever read, and a Star Wars book that reads well as just a normal novel, even if not in the Star Wars universe, which is A New Dawn, which, cutesily, was also the first Star Wars book under Disney's publishing. (laughs) So it's A New Dawn of Star Wars as well, but it tells the story of Hera as a very young spy in the when the rebellion was just a twinkle in Cassian Andor's <laughs> eye and how she meets up with you know some some other characters who might come into play later in the Star Wars Rebels series uh it is a exciting story that while functioning as a prequel to the show, I think is a great introduction or expansion of those characters. I honestly don't think it really matters when you read it in comparison to you watching that show. So if you've only watched Ahsoka and you're curious about Hera, I think this would be a great place to dive in. Um, It's becoming more and more accessible now. I don't know if they've issued reprintings of it or what, but I'm seeing it pop up a lot more places at a lot more used bookstores. It's also available to read on Hoopla, I believe, depending on what level of hoopla your local library has so i i think that i have tried to get you to read this before and you haven't if i'm not mistaken i, I would imagine that might have been my, my pre pre-finishing rebels era but now now i'm in the in the post rebels era finally now that i've caught up with the rest of the world so i mean that sounds really interesting to me i know you've definitely pitched it to me before but i would be incredibly curious to know maybe when we come back to ahsoka for the finale episode if they maybe pulled some Hera stuff from that book to to reference in this show, and then you might be able to give us a little more insight on that, because that sounds like a really interesting, darker era of the history of Star Wars, and I mean, certainly the, the Rebels characters. Yeah, it's, it's a very interesting period, because it ties in with a lot of things kind of sneakily. I believe it's the first appearance of Ray Sloan, who, which is a name I'm sure you know, and it becomes pretty important in the later chapters of the empire but Mm. here she's just like a corporal or something she's a lower level officer in this book and obviously i know you love kanan as much as i do i love kanan so it's worth reading hera is why i recommended it because of her being in ahsoka but it's just as much worth reading for the canon stuff well i'm that's that, that's on the reading list garrett i'll add it to the stack but i mean i'm any any extra goodies that can go along with this rebels crew for this show and and for the future of these characters i, I definitely want to get my eyes on it but i think this wraps us up for this week's episode of pop culture reference 
If you want to reach the show, you can find us on social media on TikTok, Twitter, and Instagram at PCR underscore podcast. You can email us at popculturereferencepod at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook. Subscribe to us on YouTube. Please give us a thumbs up, a rating, or a view on whatever platform you're listening to us on. It really does help the show out. Next week on the show, we are going to be dipping our toes for the first time into the Kenneth Branagh Hercule Poirot universe as we double feature Murder on the Orient Express and Death on the Nile. Agatha Christie, help us all. I, I, this is like going to be legit my first uh, experience with Agatha Christie stuff besides that one weird episode of Doctor Who in like the 11th season. So it's, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting. I am famously not much of an Agatha Christie guy, but I'm, I, you know, Gal Gadot is coming in <laughs> hot, so she'll save us, I think. Oh probably. yeah, definitely. She'll save us. <laughs> but I, I am strangely, I'm looking forward to that next week. So everybody, I hope next week you'll join us for a murder <laughs> adios Ahsokas 